This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, April 14th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. A new prime minister is elected in Pakistan amid largely unsupported claims of U.S. meddling. Cato's Sahar Khan details what the U.S.-Pakistan relationship might look like going forward. I think a lot of Americans really haven't been following the goings-on in Pakistan for, well, probably since Osama bin Laden was killed by uh, U.S. forces there. Um, You know, how has the government changed uh, in that time up to the present? So Pakistan has sort of been in its democratic wave right now since 2008, when the Osama bin Laden raid had happened. That was the first democratically elected government. And since then, we've uh, Pakistan has had two more. So Imran Khan's government was the third government. And he just on uh, Saturday got ousted by parliament with a no confidence vote. Who is Shabazz Sharif? So Shabazz Sharif is the leader of the opposition. And the opposition party is the Pakistan Muslim League. He's also the brother of Nawaz Sharif, who was the prime minister of Pakistan three times, but is now banned for, for, from running for public office because of corruption charges. And he currently lives in a very cushy apartment in London. And Shabazz Sharif has been his brother, um, in politics with him side by side. Uh, He was the chief minister of Punjab for a while, and he's been leading the Muslim League ever since um, Nawaz Sharif got ousted. What should Americans take from Imran Khan's claim that the U.S. meddled uh, in Pakistani affairs and essentially orchestrated his ouster? Well, you know, when I heard it, I can say that I at least rolled my eyes, which is probably not the correct response. But I rolled my eyes mainly because I think what Imran Khan is doing is, is scapegoating. And again, scapegoating is something that is familiar to many politicians all over the world. So Khan is not unique in that way. But I do think that him accusing the United States of meddling for ousting him, for bribing certain members of his coalition to go against him, I think all of that is basically not true. There's no evidence of that. He has been unable to present evidence of that. And I think he is using anti-American sentiment to rally his base. Now, his base uh, over the you know years uh, since he formed Pakistan Tariq and Saf, his political party, he has always appealed to the youth of Pakistan. And Pakistan is one of those countries that has a youth bulge. At least 64% of the population is between the ages of 18 and 39. And they're kind of tired of the same old political parties like Pakistan Muslim League. They're tired of dynastic politics where, you know, spouses and sons and siblings can take over party leadership. They want, as they call, a Naya Pakistan or a new Pakistan, which is something that Imran Khan promised them. The issue is that he hasn't really delivered. So I do think that his ouster is actually because of domestic issues more and because the economy is doing badly and not because of anti, not because of American activity, but he's he's accusing the U.S. of interfering. And isn't that kind of, I don't even know whether to call it misinformation or not, because uh, I, I just certainly don't know for certain if the U.S. has meddled in uh, Pakistani affairs, but the extent of blaming the U.S. for a lot of Pakistan's problems and uh, misinformation broadly is a problem in that region and has been for a long time. Certainly it has been. I think misinformation sort of at a global level is is becoming an issue where a lot more people are paying attention to it and sort of its negative impact. I think 
the impact of misinformation has been highlighted during the pandemic. But within Pakistan, misinformation has certainly always played a role. And this idea that somehow the U.S. is interfering and that the United States is wanting to ouster Khan and wanting to get rid of him, I think this is part of misinformation as well. And he is using the public's appetite for conspiracy theories in his favor. Um, And this is problematic for not just Pakistan, but I think also for U.S.-Pakistan relations and also just in general for U.S. interests in South Asia. Uh, You know, of late, um, the Biden administration has not really interacted with Pakistan all that much. Ever since President Biden entered office, he hasn't called. He hadn't called Prime Minister Imran Khan, which was a first. Usually, you know, heads of states call each other and and Biden didn't. Um, And ever since the U.S. has left Afghanistan, Uh, or withdrawn from Afghanistan, it hasn't really paid that much attention to Pakistan, which for the past decade or so is something that Pakistan has really called the U.S. out on, right? By saying that we're not really a value to you unless you're involved in Afghanistan. So I think all of that is playing out and Imran Khan is using um, that anti-American sentiment for himself. But his allegations of him claiming that he has a cable from Pakistan's ambassador of the U.S., he has a cable from him saying that he knows who bribed these Pakistani politicians and the army chiefs coming out and saying you shouldn't reveal this cable. I mean, to be completely honest, I don't know if this cable actually exists. I don't know what kind of information is on this cable. Imran Khan was prime minister. He could have declassified it and then showed it to people if there really was evidence of American interference. But all of this just seems really odd and basically him using misinformation to his advantage. I mean, to be fair to Mr. Khan, the U.S. has departed from Afghanistan and the U.S. use for uh, Pakistan's government to leverage it for American ends is largely at an end. Yes, that's that's true. And I think this highlights sort of the problems within the U.S.-Pakistan relationship, right? I mean, over the past few years, Pakistan has always accused the U.S. of not viewing it as its ally, as a standalone ally. It's always viewed Pakistan through the prism of Afghanistan or through the prism of China or through the prism of of terrorism and counterterrorism. It's never really taken Pakistan for its own value and what Pakistan could offer to the U.S. U.S. in turn has always accused Pakistan of not being a great ally for being for for being and playing a, a double game and for basically you know using anti-American sentiment whenever it wants as as a as a weapon against it. So I do think that there are grievances on both sides, but what we're seeing now really is um, an example of how Pakistani politicians have used anti-Americanism for their. Ad- for their advantage. And this is problematic for U.S.-Pakistan relations as well. So uh, with regard to Mr. Sharif in the U.S., what is the expectation, if any? Well, I think the expectation right now is basically that um, Shabazz Sharif is, is the prime minister. There should be an election and let's see if he wins it or not. He will be the caretaker um, prime minister. And I think one domestically, one of the issues is whether or not um, the caretaker prime minister will extend the term of the chief of army staff, who is currently General Kamar Bajwa, who has a good relationship with the United States. But about Shabazz Sharif himself, this will be his first time. If he wins the election, this will be his 
first time as prime minister. Generally, at least looking at his brother, Nawaz Sharif has had an okay relationship with the U.S. And whether or not Shahbaz Sharif will, will carry the baton is, is yet to be seen. But if I was the U.S., I would be wary of the Sharif brothers. Um, Pakistan Muslim League has always had a you know troublesome relationship with the army. And I think the U.S. should prepare for more instability in Pakistan. And unfortunately, I think Pakistanis need to prepare for more political instability, which is really going to hurt their economy, which is already suffering. So there's a lot going on in Pakistan. and But I do know that an unstable Pakistan is bad for the region and it's bad for U.S. interests in the region. And one of those U.S. interests is ensuring that Afghanistan becomes stable. So if, they, if the U.S. really wants to concentrate on that and really wants to help end the humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan, it needs Pakistan. And for that, Pakistan needs to be stable. Sahar Khan is a research fellow in defense and foreign policy studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.